Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Today we're going to talk about America's pastime, baseball. Not the latest score, or who could win the World Series next fall, but some notable rule changes instituted this year. And this podcast is, after all, a little bit about rules. The changes are part of an effort by Major League Baseball to quicken the pace of games and improve batting performance. But are they working? And is it worth changing an American institution? My guest this week, Doug Glanville, played nine seasons in the Major Leagues as an outfielder for the Philadelphia Phillies, Chicago Cubs, and Texas Rangers. He's currently an ESPN baseball analyst and co-host of the baseball-centric podcast, Starkville. Doug, welcome to the show. Great. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to talk about this because um, it's super interesting. First of all, why did MLB see fit to make changes? Is it really just about the fact that the games were getting too long? And that's a big part of it. And you know, part of it is the length of the games. They recognize that if you compare it to an era where the the pacing or just the outcome of how long it was was like when I grew up, my my family, <clears throat> my family and I are from New Jersey, and we watched. Um, forgive me if people are not of this persuasion, but we grew up watching Yankee games in the seventies, and I don't remember <laughs> I don't remember games being that long. Yeah, I mean, I, and and that was part of the challenge, and you know the reason. It took some time to consider how to do this is you have to make the assumption that that era or that time period was the best version of baseball. That was the time that you're trying to recapture. So taking it into the future with all the things that changed, including having lights, for example, or something like that, you wanted to make sure that that was the sort of right time frame to, to match up with. But beyond the actual time of the game, was really the tempo of the game. The fact that the game had all this dead time sitting in there where players were fixing batting gloves and you know there was guys on the mound in between pitches walking as if they were going on Caminos or something. I mean, they were, it was just taking forever just to get the ball in play. And when you combine that with the trends of the game becoming much more driven by strikeouts and walks and lack of contact, home runs, things that were not putting the ball, quote, in play... Uh, then you had a problem because you had a lack of action, you had a very uh, protracted tempo, and the games were taking 
eternity. So those combine, especially the pressure to just have a, not just a great baseball game as a sport, but a great entertainment product led to these changes. You know, there's a more broad criticism of baseball on the part of some people um, who don't know better and are unpatriotic that <laughs> baseball is one of the sports where the ball is least in play. I remember hearing a statistic some years ago that the total amount of time the ball is in play during a baseball game compared to some other sport is like 11 minutes. Does that sound right? Or is that an exaggeration? I would be surprised. It's it's not a lot of time. You know, there's so much where you're just waiting. It's a crescendo. It's mano a mano, pitcher hitter. So uh, the theater of baseball is built on the anticipation. And so part of it is not having the ball in play. So Okay. So what are the major rule changes that people have been seeing as the new season has gotten underway, particularly that relate to speeding up the pace? Yeah. Well, in terms of the base stealing, that was a problem. Um, well, considering I have a you know a little bit of personal experience from the standpoint of being a per, a player that stole bases and tried to do it efficiently, I paid a lot of attention to what was happening in uh, what I call the death of the stolen base. It was declining mightily, and part of it was not anything to do with skill sets or speed, but about points of emphasis, about risk, assessing risk, and once you start to get the data in. As uh, analytics analytics have dug deeper and deeper, they recognize that the risk of you getting caught or the fact that you could get caught was never worth or started to become less valuable than taking the chance in the first place and what you gain by if you make it. And eventually, the equation starts to become, well, if I'm losing a chance to score runs by 40% by getting caught and I'm gaining only 20%, then why even do it at all? Right. And and so the theory must be, but we favor base stealing, not because it's in the Constitution or in the Bible, but because it adds excitement to the game? Right. Well, it's about excitement. And so you realize that the information and the synthesization of that information was so deep that you started to eliminate, literally just by making risk assessment, certain plays that were exciting. Because inherently, and I think this is true across the board in many parts of our lives and facets of our entertainment spectrum, is that you like the low probability plays. <laughs> you like the unlikely story. You thrive on the fact that this is a low percentage play because that's what excites you. Guy shoots the ball at half court. You know, the, the guy only has one home run in his career, hits a home run in the World Series. That's what you want. And you eliminate that when you weigh on the data so heavily to steer the game away from those plays because it's taking too much risk and threatening your chance, your team's chances of winning as a whole. So yes, they they wanted to add the stolen base because it's exciting and they made it uh, more possible by the, the rules they put in place, the bigger bases. Yeah, so let's can we talk about the bigger bases? Yes. So how much bigger are first, second, and third base now? They used to be 15 inches square, you know, 15 inches by 15. And now they're 18. So I think the term they use is like a pizza box. <laughs> so that's what they made. So that between first and second, between second and third, that's a gain um, for the runner of about six inches? Yeah, it's a little bit of a gain because you're that much closer to the base because your your lead, you're closer to going back and you're closer getting to the next base. So, so that, let, let me ask you this question, if, you, if you've done this in your head. If the bases had been 18 inches when you were playing, given how many bases you stole and obviously sometimes you were thrown out, how many more bases do you think you would have successfully stolen? Well, I think the way I think of it is if I did the exact same thing with the, with the different equipment 
I would definitely have gained bases because those really bang bang plays that are close, I was safe. <laughs> that's yeah. that's what have been the difference. So yeah, I, and I was a efficient base dealer. I didn't steal a ton by I guess all time great category, but I made it you know over eighty percent of the time, which is the kind of magic number for saying for getting that green light to run at will. Because if you steal at eighty percent of the time, then it, it becomes a valued play because effectively you're putting yourself in scoring position. How are the new rules adopted? It's not the Supreme Court, right? <laughs> no, not, not quite the Supreme Court, but they equivalent of that. They, they had a commission. Uh, I know he doesn't like to get total credit of this, but Theo Epstein, who is the architect of the ending the futility of the Chicago Cubs and Boston Red Sox uh, and by being the, the general manager and head of baseball operations for those organizations when they finally won the World Series. So... Uh, in, you know, a crisis of consciousness in some level, he wanted to go and revisit some of the ways the data dies had gotten to the point where the games were losing the soul, this aspect of, you know, what excites people about the game because the calculations were so rich and deep. You started to look at all these elements that uh, were playing winning baseball by winning the moments instead of looking at the large picture about, well, what do people value about this game? And I think his work in conjunction with a lot of other input from fans, figuring out what people are missing about the game, the double, the triple, the stolen base. They were tired of the shift. They didn't want uh, all the strikeouts. All these things kind of came together around these these rules. And they rolled them out carefully. They went to the minor leagues and tested it out. Uh, this was not knee-jerk, but it was something that had been in conversation for a while. And I think they felt very trapped and beholden by the data that was driving the choices they were making that were getting farther and farther away with what was exciting about baseball. Let's talk about the pitch clock. That is a totally new thing in baseball. There are shot clocks. There are other timing devices in other sports that urge the you know, faster tempo of play. Explain what that new rule is and how that's been having an effect. Well, it's a tremendous effect. I would say it's the most consequential of all the rules. And they effectively just put a clock, a timer on that pitcher-batter exchange. And there's 15 seconds when there's nobody on base, and there's 20 seconds when there's a runner on base. And the pitcher has to release the ball in that time frame, but also the batter has to get in the batter's box and, as they say, make eye contact. And that's, there's a, like a seven-second or so window where they have to be engaged and then the pitcher can deliver. So they've cut out almost 30 minutes. Uh, that's a significant number so far. 30 minutes on a game, 26 to 28 minutes, where the games are that much shorter, simply because they you know, forced this action. And it's early stages, of course. And you know, when you look at these other sports you mentioned, the NBA, pitch clock, shot clock, all these things, uh, nobody goes back and says, well, you know, Steph Curry, game seven, that game was ruined when he scored 50 points because of the shot clock. Like <laughs> right. nobody says that, right? So, so are, are pitchers, how are, how do pitchers feel about the pitch clock? Yeah, I, I think overall it was a, a huge adjustment I, and even batters as well, because they were used to their tempo controlling the pace. He who controls the pace in baseball controls the at bat. So there was always this jockeying for position. And when the rule came out, they equally were affected. And I think pitchers overall have just, gotten used to the idea that they have to have a tempo and a rhythm. And I don't think it took long to adjust. They rolled it out in spring training. It was aggressively enforced. People violated the pitch clock all the time. And then slowly but surely, they kept moving towards less violations every week. 
And now in the regular season, that, that trend continues. So it's part of the game. There's always gamesmanship about how to best use the clock. We saw a pitcher the other day hold to the one-second mark and then pick off the guy. Uh, there'll be tricks, but I don't, it's here to stay because there was so much uh, lethargic <laughs> and slow pacing that they wanted to make a difference, and the pitch clock has been the most consequential. So here's another change, which I think baseball decided was necessitated by a new trend in baseball only in the last few years. And that's it was an amazing thing to see because I hadn't seen it when I was a kid watching baseball. And that's known as the shift. Could you explain what the shift was, how it came about, and what the new rule is? Well, the shift was a transformational way to align your defense in baseball. And the way it worked was, if you imagine you have first a diamond, first base, second base, you go around a third. Well, on one side of the field, usually on the infield particularly, you have a second baseman and a first baseman on the right side, and you have a shortstop and third baseman on the left side of second base, and then the outfielder in their position. So you, you associate baseball with a certain alignment, visual alignment of where That's the right That's what I remember, is. yeah. Yeah, where the second baseman is. Well, in the shift, they would move an extra player over to one side. So all of a sudden, there are three infielders on one side of second base or on the left side, mostly. the. But that depended game. on whether or not the batter was left-handed or right-handed. It did. And also depended on the batter's tendencies. They Once again, the data was coming in like, well, he hits 80% of the balls on the ground. And what he does, 90% of those ground balls are to second base. Well, it makes sense to stack that side of the field. So they stacked that side of the field. And the goal was to take away ground balls, hard hit ground balls, or soft line drives that used to get through when you only had two guys on that side of the field. And it was highly effective especially taking away the power hitting But it took like a hundred years for people to come up with that idea. <laughs> well, I, and I think there was like some pictures of Ted Williams in the 40s or whatever. But yeah, they they just, I don't know what, what it was and why it took so long for people to do it. I played in Philadelphia where Marlon Anderson, the second baseman, he would play short right field a lot. And, you know, Chipper Jones, the all-star Hall of Famer, he was always rolling his eyes when he'd ground out to Marlon in right field, but nobody else really did it. But uh, slowly but surely, the data just was undeniable on where you should position. You have the information. There's where he hits the ground balls. Why wouldn't you put a guy there? And eventually it said, why not put two guys there? <laughs> and that's something that they, they backed off because it was so effective. And as a result, being effective meant less action, a lot more outs, low batting averages, and guys trying to hit home runs because they gave up on hitting the ground balls. They were like, all right, the best way to beat the shift is to hit it in the stands. <laughs> and often when they tried to do that, all the strikeouts that came with it, and that was becoming very problematic for the lack of action. So, so what's the new rule that deals with the shift? So the new rule is a couple layers. One is you have to have two players, two infielders on each side of second base. So you can't stack one side with three or four guys. That's one. Number two, and I think this is highly underrated in its impact, is the infielders have to be on the dirt. They can't be in the outfield grass. They have to be in the dirt. Because that's the other thing they would do with the shift. They put the third baseman out in right field and they would cut. What they would do is create the best angles. So the hard hit ball, they could round it and get in front of it. Now that they're forced to be in the infield, they're closer to home plate. And when guys at 110 mile an hour ground balls, just by sheer reaction time, they don't get to the ball. So that's become a base hit as well. So there's no longer the beating the shift and beating the, the offense by the angles or by depth. 
and by positioning having three guys on one side. So I think there's multiple layers on why it's improved your chances of getting a hit in the infield. So you were talking about the consequences of these rules. There's an article from just a couple of weeks ago emphasizing your point. It says batting average is up 16 points. Stolen bases have spiked 30%. And the average game time is down 31 minutes on track to be the sport's lowest since 1984. I have a question for you as somebody who played. Is there, will there be any sense of annoyance on the part of veteran players that in the statistics books and in the record books, this new generation of players has an undue advantage as far as hitting and batting average? I mean, time will definitely tell. I would imagine if you have generations of this system, then yeah, there'll be more stolen bases for this period. We're still not at the rates of Ricky Henderson stealing 131 bases or something. You're, you're not there. You're not getting that many attempts, but you're certainly not where you were last year. And there's no question that it's going to have an impact on the record books if, uh, you know, stolen bases become, you know, idolized in a certain kind of way. I don't know if it will in that way because I think still home run is king and yeah. and all those other elements. But yeah, well, it's I grew up during the age st- of Reggie Jackson. Right, Reggie and all these. It's, it's still data-driven and statistics are going to be such a big part of our love affair with baseball that, you know, we're going to be able to compare this era in a very different way. And that's okay. You know, we have dead ball eras. We have post-war. We have Negro League expansion, integration. We had the steroid era. Had the steroid era, the sign stealing, the, you know, baseball. Are we out of the steroid era, Doug? Are we out of it? Well, I don't think you're ever out of it. Not, well, steroid is very specific. If you say performance enhancing or PEDs, yeah, I don't think you're ever out of it. Uh, I think you, it evolves. It's cat and mouse game. You have to be vigilant. And they have string, the stringent, more stringent policies than they ever had. However, it's still always going to be a challenge. In any hyper-competitive environment like baseball, people are going to try to find edges. Even with a pitch clock, they're sitting there trying to figure out how they can, all right, yeah. how can I hold the ball, you know, <laughs> all these things. So we've seen the consequences so far in batting average, stolen bases, game time. I presume that one of the reasons in the background that this was being done was to increase viewership and baseball as a business and increase profitability. Do you know if there have been any statistics showing increased viewership or attendance at the ballpark in light of these changes or not? Well, opening week is the last data points I've looked at. It was highly successful. It was up over 40%. So you did have the viewership. You did have the... And do you think that's due literally to these changes or at least in part to these rules changes? Well, I I do think the changes in and of itself created a curiosity, if nothing else. I think people want to say, let me, yeah, let me watch. Let me just see what this is like. That novelty... Will that sustain? I, I don't know. But there's no doubt that you're watching a game. I'm, I'm, I'm calling these games every Sunday. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, wait a minute, I can catch my flight right now. <laughs> you know, is, so it, is it more fun like, for you to, to, to call these games? Yeah, I, I call these games. It's challenging in some way because I don't have as much time to tell my stories and wax poetic in between pitches because it's so quick. But I, at the same time, you know, you make your adjustments and you find other windows. But you also just notice that you're able to, you you schedule your flight, you're in San Diego, you're like, well, can I get a seven o'clock flight? You feel a lot more secure in the game, not just getting away from itself to becoming a game that's still five to four, but three and a half hours. You feel more secure that the timestamp will match the score and, you know, have sort of a cadence to it. You're eliminating this extra stuff that would happen, whether it was one nothing or 13 to 12. That I think has been highly reduced 
sort of the noise, so to speak. And I, I, it's hard to say that anything other than that's a good thing. It's just you forget how much waste there was. Uh, what like what were guys doing? I don't I don't know. I, I was telling a lot of stories, so I probably there was didn't a notice. lot of tobacco chewing, a lot of tobacco, and there was a lot of spitting, and there was a lot of scratching. Well, I remember Bill James uh, had a great quote. <laughs> and, and, and adjusting. <laughs> oh, yeah, everything. And Bill James had a great quote because he said, people need to stop, stop coming about the pitch clock. Back in the day, oh, we had a clock. It was called the sun. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. it's like yeah, exactly. Like you're playing wiffle ball with your brother outside and the sun's going down. Oh, I guess it's time to go in. Like, you know, th- it's partly due to just technological advances and data. And the guys are like on iPads in between innings and trying to figure out like, all right, how do I hit? And it's like, it's parenting. It's like parenting. I'm telling my kids, get off your screens and you have 30 more minutes or five more minutes. There's so much distraction and stuff that the gut, the game just sort of evolved into this thing that's very reflective of larger society, which sometimes is something to celebrate. But then you go, wait a minute now, this is, there's a lot of time here where people are just kind of overthinking everything, you know, see ball, hit ball, and get back to some of the basics that made the game thrive and be exciting. You know, there, there is such a thing as too much ball in play and too much action. Anybody who has been a parent of kids in Little League, like I was with my two boys, which is one of the sports in which they have to institute the mercy rule. Because there's there's too much there's too much scoring there's too much hitting, because the fielding is wanting among uh, very young kids. Are there any other rules that you see are on deck to be changed either for the pace of the game or because they annoy people? Well, the, the un- unquestionably the well we call them robot umps. It's probably a, a little dismissive, but there's technology to allow uh, automation or using technology to call balls and strikes. That is definitely going to come. Uh, it's already being tested. The question in that era is er, area is whether you use it on every pitch or you do it in a challenge. On a system. Challenge, yeah. What do you think is better? I think a challenge system. I think you. I think baseball still has to retain its baseball, right? You have umpires. You have, and although there's not as many arguments because you have, you get the challenge plays and instant replay. I still think that dynamic is important to to have. There's just an element, and there's so much more to manage than. You know, fine, you you ball and strike, but just we just describe all these rules that, by the way, the umpires have to enforce. So they're out there like, pitch clock, make sure you're staring at the guy. You know, they're checking everything. So you need, you need someone to captain that. Uh, and I think you need to give them the power to continue to be in command of that. And yeah, you could challenge it. Pick your spots. You sure? You sure that's a ball? Because by the way, just like basketball, nobody ever commits a foul in the NBA. Nobody. Everybody, every call, they argue, they dispute. So this is what happens in baseball. There's nobody's ever been, you know, struck out looking on a, on the right call, right? It's it's like that's just the nature of debating, uh, officiating. Uh, I do think a challenge system would probably be the way it starts, and yeah. they go from there. Final question: Do you think what I believe to be the most fundamental rule of baseball for all eternity will remain in place, or will it to be changed? And that rule is, as you might guess. There is no crying in baseball. <laughs> that rule has totally been blown up. And I'm, I'm, <laughs> and I'm it's already been violated. I'm kind of glad for it. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Drew Maggi story. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, 13 years in the minor leagues, finally gets his first major league I hit. I saw that. Unbelievable. Saw that. You, everybody's got to cry over that. You know, it's just what it is. Um, I lost my father the last game of the season. In 2002, when I got my 1,000th hit of my career the same day, he passed away exactly when the time of the game ended. 
and I got to bury him with that baseball. So you got to cry in this game, you know. Uh, you got to cry. And, and my brother had the same kind of story in his life when my father passed. So um, I think the game has evolved a lot of way and we've gained a lot of emotional intelligence too. So, hey, I'm all for it. Doug Glanville, thanks for your work and thanks for coming on and talking to us. All right, Preet. It's been my honor. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I co-host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. Or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tadashore. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producers are Sam Ozer-Staten and Noah Azulai. The audio producer is Nat Wiener. And the CAFE team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. <laughs>